you know, if somebody gets caught with a, a truckload of 90 dogs on the back, um, they're not going to look at being sent to jail where, you know, where they would have been if they were bringing in drugs. But the markup that they can charge on these dogs is, is pretty much the same. Welcome to Crime World. I'm Eamon Dillon. Puppy farming has become a multi-million euro business, and thanks to the huge demand in the UK, Ireland has become a major player in the market. But much of it is based on deceit and maximising profits at the expense of the animals and the new owners. It is a callous, cruel trade. Today we are talking to Ian Briggs, the Chief Inspector of the Royal Society for the Protection of Animals Special Operations Unit. That was my colleague Pat O'Connell getting a, a warm welcome at a dog breeding facility considered to be one of the largest in Europe based in the Irish Midlands. Now many of these dogs end up in the UK sometimes very sick as a result of neglect and the failure to take proper care of the young animals. Ian, will you give us an idea about how and why these pups are ending up in England and Wales and who is behind it and how big the industry is? What we've seen over the last sort of five, six years is a really dramatic increase uh, in the production of puppies from Ireland uh, as well as other places, but predominantly from Ireland to to feed the the market in the UK. Uh, And that's driven by social media, uh, celebrity, people over here wanting these designer breeds of dogs, so things like cockapoos and jackawawas and generally crossbreed dogs that are given um, given a different, uh, a trendy-sounding name, um, which drives the, uh, drives the desire to have these dogs. And what we've seen over the years is it's purely financially driven by, by the producers and by the sellers in this country. So... So the producers are looking to uh, breed these dogs at minimal cost, uh, with as as little uh, overlay as they can they can stand, and then they will then pass them on to these third party sellers, who then sell them via internet sites uh, in the UK, uh, and it's just this this constant machine of churning out these dogs to feed this massive market we've got over over here in the UK, and it's only been made worse by the, the pandemic, uh, we've seen prices rocket over the last 12 months, um, where the average cost of a, of a cockapoo now is looking at anywhere between two and four thousand pounds. And if you think that can be produced over in Ireland and sold on for a couple of hundred euros, the markup is, is immense. And that's what drives it. So the, what we see then is these dogs being produced at minimal cost with very little outlay on their health and well-being. So they're bred into a poor environment. The needs aren't being met within the first few weeks of their life. So they're sold as, as young as possible because that's when they're at the cutest. You know, a, a, a dealer has got no desire to be selling a six-month-old puppy. What they want to be sold, selling is a 15-week-old Pomeranian because that's when it's at its cutest. It's when it's easiest to sell. So that they will try and sell these dogs way too early so the dogs aren't getting the colostrum and the you know the the antibodies that they need to to protect them through later life from the mother they're separated from the mother early they're then put into this transport cycle of either coming from ireland or from eastern europe um and they're they're basically 
they, they shipped across, shipped into the UK. They then sold within a day or two. Um, and unfortunately, what happens then is the buyer then gets them home, um, settle them into their new home, and that's when the, the the illnesses or the diseases that the dog has been carrying since um, since it was born then manifests itself. And that's when these people then come to the people like the RSPCA or any other of these charities that we've got, where they've then got a dog that's seriously ill with these infectious diseases such as parvovirus and things like that. And ultimately that can kill the dog. I was looking back through some of the stories that we did in the Sunday World and in other media and those figures being mentioned as far back as 2012, we're talking maybe nine years ago now, that there was as many as a thousand dogs a week being shipped from Ireland to the UK and that the entire business was estimated to be worth something around £100 million a year. Those figures, would they stand up now or is it bigger? Um, Can you give us any idea to try and guesstimate the, the size of the business? It would purely be a guesstimation, but I would say it's bigger. Um, you have the, the, the industry. I've never, I've, I've worked for the RSPCA now for 27 years. So 23 of those have been with the special operations unit. You know, what we do is we look at organized animal cruelty. And, uh, and in all of my time, I've never seen an area of animal crime explode in the way that the dog industry, the dog industry has over the last five to seven years, it's just it absolutely skyrocketed. Puppy farming's been around for years, and, uh, and before we had dogs coming in from Ireland, they were they were being bred on farms in Wales and things like that. But then this this whole desire for people to have these types of puppies has led to this massive increase, and I've, I've never seen anything like it. It's it is worth millions. Um, for example, we did. Well, one of the first cases we did, um, which which brought it all home about how uh, how big this industry was getting, um, was with a, a gang in Manchester who were bringing dogs in from Ireland, and they were bringing in um, about ninety to one hundred and ten dogs every two weeks, and they were being sold. And it, at that time, each dog was being sold for about six hundred pounds each. So that was that was at the very start of all this, and now you're looking at. Gangs will be bringing over similar amounts. These dogs are now going for any, like I said, anywhere between two and four thousand pounds each. So the the financial incentive for these gangs to get involved is is huge, and uh, and that's why we're seeing other criminal gangs getting involved now because you'll get some gangs who deal in drugs and things like that, but now you've got the gangs that can deal in dogs, where the risk is nothing. You know, it's you know if somebody gets caught with a a truckload of 90 dogs on the back, um, they're not going to look at being sent to jail where, you know, whereas they would have been if they were bringing in drugs. But the markup that they can charge on these dogs is, is pretty much the same. There was a recent case in Milton Keynes in the UK, I think. It certainly gave us a bit of an insight, certainly in Ireland, about how this trade works. There was a number of members of the Cawley family were actually jailed. I think the longest sentence was three years and nine months. And the judge was was quite adamant in his sentencing and in in his comments describing how cruel the trade is. Now, one of your colleagues, Inspector Michelle Hare, she made a witness statement. And in it, she described the site at Milton Keynes where they arrived. Um, She described 
describe seeing a large number of dogs and puppies present. And while there was a couple of dogs running loose, the rest of them were housed in, in the old bodies of lorries and storage containers. Some of the dogs had untreated health conditions, you know, problems like uh, fur loss, ear infections, dental disease. And, you know, there was, it was totally inappropriate conditions that, in which they were being held. And the trailers had been split into pens. All of the dogs were being kept in poor conditions. There was a strong smell of ammonia. I presume that's uh, because of the urine. One of the pens was full of hazards with the nails, nails sticking out, sharp metal meshes, wires hanging down. And there's a description, I think, which is the worst part of a hole in the walls and in the floors that looked to have been caused by dogs trying to chew their way out of the space they were in. The police who were assisting the RSPCA seized a total of 54 dogs and there was four litters of puppies then that were born into the care of the SPCA. Now, during this court case, it emerged that the family were using their connections in Ireland, you know, for their supply of dogs. But um, as far as the, the members of the public were concerned, they were dealing with, with uh, you know, an ordinary, an ordinary family. They were, they were using front men to, to sell the dogs so that when people would arrive at the house, they, you know, an effort had been made to make it look like it was a family home. Now, just the, the people who were convicted in this case, it was said in court that they, they made over £300,000 from the scam. But that's just a fraction of what's going on. I mean, Ian, you were involved in a very large case back in 2017. Um, I think it was in Wales, in Hollyhead, where you were involved in uh, uh, the interception of a large, I suppose, uh, cargo of puppies headed for the UK. Yeah, I mean, what you've described there is, is pretty typical of, of, of pretty much every puppy farming job that we do now. Um, yeah, the job in Hollyhead was it was part of what um, it's an overarching operation called Operation Delphi, and that is basically where it's um, it's where organisations like the RSPCA and the SSPCA in Scotland have got together with our, our partner charities in in Ireland. So we work closely alongside the ISPCA, the DSPCA, and the USPCA. Um, and what we do is we we exchange intelligence and we we get together and we and, and we um, try and coordinate our activities because it's this problem affects both the UK and Ireland um, and it's and it's only working in partnership that we can hope to try and tackle it. And what we did as part of that was we we set up with the border force in the UK. Um, we set up some proactive. Um, operations at the Welsh ports. So basically what we were doing, we were intercepting on an intelligence-led basis and also just um, general um, stops. We were looking at trying to interdict into the journey of these dogs we're undertaking from Ireland into the UK. And and what we're able to do on one night was we stopped a transporter, um, a flatback transporter with a, a scrap van on the back um, and what we found in the back of this scrap van was um, there was about 36 puppies just hidden inside this van. Coming on the ferry just behind that was a, a Luton transporter that was designated as carrying um, wood shavings. That triggered some alarm bells for the, the Border Force people. And then when we did some checks on it, we found that they were both registered uh, under the same name. And then when we eventually stopped this van at the same time as the other one, we Behind a, a layer of wood shavings at the back of the van, there was another 65 puppets in cages, all crammed into the back of this vehicle. The, the conditions they were being transported in was appalling. Um, 
So and what we were able to do was um, we had a vet on site and we had local authority officers in, in Wales. So we were able to get all the dogs offloaded, um, get them examined by a vet. And so they had a full health check. And, uh, and as part of Operation Delphin, what we'd done was we had, a, we had an arrangement with the Dublin Society and, uh, and they were working with uh, the, the customs in, in, in Dublin Port. And we were able to offload these dogs. We were able to health check them, repackage them up into appropriate uh, containers for transport and get them on the next return ferry back to Dublin. And, uh, and so all these 90, whatever, 98 dogs or something like that, they were all then handed over to the Dublin Society, who were then able to rehome them through their centre in Dublin. And, and that, from our point of view, was, was a huge success. It was a massive operation. It, it hugely disrupted those dealers. I mean, you're looking at that they lost, at that time, probably the best part, £60,000 worth of stock um, because that's what these puppies are for them. They're stock, they're a commodity. So it was a real success story on our part because it sent shockwaves out across it, you know, that this sort of activity was taking place at the ports. Um, but then it also, for the DSPCA, it was great because they could publicise what was going on over in Ireland. We could do it over here. And it really brought a lot of awareness um, around what was actually starting to happen with this trade. And we've done it a few times successfully since then. Um, and it, and it, is, it, it just shows that, that the positive working relationships that we've got in the UK and the Irish charities uh, and, and the Scottish charities, well, it, it is really productive. So they were coming directly from Ireland. In that case, if I'm thinking of the same one, I think one of the gentlemen that was actually prosecuted was fined um, something like £750 and given a suspended sentence. So despite your hard work, the deterrence, certainly deterrence in terms of jail time, uh, at least up until the recent Milton Keynes case, ha has been fairly low. Just when you mentioned the kind of efforts the smugglers go, go to or the efforts, the lengths they go to, one of the things that came out in the Milton Keynes case is that there was empty vaccine syringes, um, there, there was empty vials, uh, there, there, was, there was blank certification certs. So it, it looks as if, you know, they're, they're trying to fake that these are legitimate dogs. Is, is that unusual in your, in your experience to find forged vaccination certs? And I presume that the vials and on the rest of it was there to show people they weren't they weren't actually necessarily vaccinating the dogs or anything. They were just trying to give the impression that they were. Yeah, I mean, what, what you've got now is these, these people are uh, fraudsters. So everything they're doing is about trying to pass off that puppy as being bred in a home environment in the UK. So what? So they, they, they will sometimes vaccinate. Um, you know, you'll get a, sometimes a first vaccination or they'll fake vaccination cards. They'll, um, they'll microchip dogs. What we, what we get is dealers leaving... Um, leaving the UK, driving over to Ireland to collect dogs that uh, are unvaccinated and unmicrochipped, and then they'll microchip them en route back into the UK. And this is all trying to pass them off as being UK bred. And it's, it sits alongside the um, using front, front properties to sell. Um, again, so they'll rent, they'll rent a property, put a bit of furniture in it, um, and then pretend that they're living there and that's where the dog's being sold from or what we're seeing now are vulnerable people being used to sell dogs. So 
vulnerable people will be intimidated into holding on to some puppies and then pretending that they, they've bred them. Um, and again, it's all part of this, this fraud, which is then led, like you say, with the Milton Keynes case, because, yes, the sentencing coming in at Hollyhead, uh, they, they were actually prosecuted for an illegal landing, um, so rather than any welfare offences, uh, and they were prosecuted by the local authority. So, so you, you, you pros- your, your penalties there aren't particularly strong. Um, and up till um, recently, obviously the main penalty under the Animal Welfare Act in, in the UK is, is, is a maximum of six months in prison. And, uh, and that's where an animal is shown to have been suffering. So what the RSP, what we've, the RSPCA have started doing over the last couple of years is actually prosecuting these people for fraud as well. So that's why you see the increased sentences of, of two and three years because the, the fraud is such a, a big part of the overall crime. Because, yes, the animals are being caused to suffer by their, their lack of treatment throughout, but equally, everything these people are doing is designed to, um, to dupe the buyer into buying something that that dog isn't. So for them to actually legitimately advertise their dog, it, that, those dogs, it would have to say something like, you know, Puppy farm dog, fresh in from uh, from Ireland, can't guarantee its um, health or anything like that. And, and they're not doing that. You know, if, to the contrary, everything they're doing is designed to dupe that buyer into believing that they're buying a dog from a loving home. I mean, we've we've had the the gang I spoke about earlier in Manchester. They we did repeated operations against them over a number a couple of years, and uh, and by the time we did the last one, they refined their business. Every time we we raided them with the police, they would change their MO to try and counteract what we were investigating. So by the time we did them on the last one, they were giving scented blankets with the puppies. So they had a they had a stock of exactly the same blankets in a cupboard, all these pink dog blankets that they claimed the mother had been lying on. And so that they were advertised these dogs with scented blanket from the mother. Um, documentation with a pedigree that they were making up, all these sort of things. They, they were using a stooge dog that they were pretending to be the mother. So they've, they've become, over the years, they've become quite refined in the way that they dupe and the way that they defraud the public. And uh, and that, now, particularly now with the change in sentencing laws in the UK, where you, you can now, um, which, brought, which has brought us in line with the rest, in line with the rest of Europe, in the, for the really serious cases now, you can you can get up to five years in prison. So we're hoping that that is going to be more of a deterrent. Some of the individuals involved in this trade are connected to more serious crime. And there's no suggestion that the breeder that my colleague Pat was at was necessarily involved in any crime because a lot of the establishments in Ireland are actually licensed. But in some cases uh, where, where there's been prosecutions, there's just been some unbelievable conditions have been described in court. There was one recently where dogs were fighting over bits of a dead horse that was left on the premises, and that's how these dogs were being fed. I think there was numbers of like 340 animals in various stages of neglect with horrific conditions. And these are the pups then which, you know, now end up in the UK. Now, I know the uh, RSPCA and other animal charities and activists have gone undercover, and obviously you can't go too much into it, but I mean, 
you know, how dangerous has it been for some of your colleagues? I mean, they must have at some stage realized that we're not just dealing with ordinary gentlemen farmers here. These are, are people, you know, as I mentioned, as you mentioned earlier, you know, possibly dealing drugs. They're involved in violence. And this is just a little sideline. And is, is that something you have to be conscious of um, and your colleagues have to be aware of? Yeah, as we've seen over the last few years, this this whole area has now become quite attractive to people involved in other types of criminality. And certainly in in my role, um, we work closely alongside the police in pretty much every job that we do. And it is always a factor um, that that does come into play more often than not, that we that we see these people are involved in other types of crime. And that's why we work closely with the police, because then obviously they take on that side of it and they will deal with that. But quite often we will find, you know, um, drugs activity on some of these jobs, as well as other, other types of crime, firearms and things like that. So it is something we're acutely aware of. Um, but even then down to um, our uniformed officers, when they're out chancing across some of these setups and things like that, the risk of them, them encountering a violent reaction is, is always there. And it is always something that they're, they're constantly aware of. Certainly, there was a case recently, it was actually a couple who contacted us in, in the Sunday world, where they had bought a cocker spaniel, which became quite ill. And using social media, they were actually able to track down the, the person who sold them the pup. Um, and they were able to, they, they contacted us in the Sunday world, and we were able to link that person to one of the biggest criminal families in the country involved in burglaries. And I think some of the members of the same family are wanted in the UK for violent burglaries. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, targeted, um, you know, you know uh, kidnappings where people are held hostage for robbery. So we're talking about the higher end of danger when it comes to criminality. But then to go back to this couple, I suppose in one sense, they're typical of the type of people who could become victims in this in this type of scam, and that they they bought uh, Bruce the cocker spaniel for a thousand pounds, having spotted the ad online, um, and there was this young woman who came out of the house they went to with a dog and a blanket, and they even had a kind of a collapsible puppy carrying box which the children were able to show them how to set up, which the woman herself said like should have been a clue that you know possibly something was wrong here, so you know within a couple of days the dog became incredibly sick, they they uh, they brought it back to a vet um, who said it had been shipped from somewhere in Southern Ireland but uh, it wasn't registered it did actually have a chip of course it had parvovirus which would have been fatal if left untreated and then on top of all that because the dog was illegally imported it has to go into quarantine in the UK and all in all it cost them an extra four and a half thousand pounds and they were going to have trouble paying their rent so this is not an unusual story not at all um yeah, sad, sadly, that's um, invariably what happens in most cases. Um, people will buy these dogs, and it's it's these unforeseen costs that you never envisage having to pay when you, you go out and you you buy a dog and uh, and you want to bring it in as a new member of your family, and you think you're going to bring it home, introduce it to the kids, and then you know start this great relationship. Uh, unfortunately, what happens a lot of the time is that in, in exactly the same scenario as that. The dog falls ill. Uh, you then have to take it to the vets. Then it transpires that it's got these, you know, these diseases that are going to take considerable amounts of veterinary intervention to to keep the dog alive. Um, and before you know it, you, they've, they've got a vet's bill of thousands of euros or pounds. Um, we, we, we're just 
we're just doing a case at the moment where the, one of the unfortunate people who bought a dog has spent nearly £12,000 on keeping this dog alive. And uh, and it's just because they yeah they bought the dog, they bought, it, they bought it into the family environment, the kids are excited and things like that. And then to watch this dog fall ill and then to see, you know, see the reaction with the kids and things like that, it, it must be awful for them. So then they start spending money trying to keep the dog alive. And this has just come about because of the the, the, the poor way that the dog has been bred, the, the poor husbandry it's been subjected to, the, you know, the lack of any sort of welfare for these dogs. They then bear the brunt of that through the costs. And, uh, and it is really, really sad. And then you, on, on the flip side of it, you get the equally as sad um, story where they, they come down the next day and they find the puppy dead. You know, just, you know, all these these horror stories, sadly, are not um, rare. And, and these are things that are easily avoidable, the, these horrible viruses that the dogs are picking up from other dogs. So presumably the basic level of care that the, the, you know, the young animals should be getting should be enough to, you know, to stop this happening. A lot of these infections are, are more, it's a crime of emission as opposed to direct cruelty on the part of the, the, the puppy traffickers. Oh, absolutely. It's it's the other things that they carry as well, like the Giardia and Compiler back to which which has spread through being in unsanitary conditions. Uh, Parvo virus. Uh, you know, if if you go to a legitimate breeder uh, and someone who takes pride in the the dogs they're producing, um, you're not going to have that. You're not going to. You know, the dogs are going to get all the vaccinations they need. They'll be with the mother. Um, you know, as long as they need to be. And the mother is is not kept in, you know, really squalid conditions, never seen the light of day and just used as a breeding machine. You know, it's like anything. It's like anything. If you're if you're buying a new car, um, you you'll set out and you do the research about the new car you want to buy. You won't meet somebody in a pub car park and just hand over a load of money for a dot for a car you don't know anything about. That's really what people are doing with dogs in the it's this impulse buy. So I think they, they make this they make this decision to to purchase a dog, and because of the the internet and we've got this you know I want it now scenario, um, you can go on a website and you can arrange it, and you could have the dog the next day, and uh, and I think that's part of the problem. And it, what it's done is it's taken away that um, that thinking time and that research time that you used to have to do by. You would contact a breeder and then you would meet the breeder and then you would talk to them. You'd go and see your setup. And at the same time, they're, they're as much interviewing you about whether they want to sell you a dog as you are them. And, uh, and then you'd often have to put your name down for when the litter was born and things like that. And whilst it was a much more drawn out process, you, were, you could be much more assured of the quality of dog that you were going to buy. Um, now that's that's been taken over by this um by the internet culture of buying stuff off free ads, free ads and things like that, uh, and that's why you it allows these criminals to to, to step into this market and produce and um, produce these dogs at next to no money. But what you're getting is a really really compromised animal um, when you buy it from from a health health and mental uh, perspective. You know these dogs aren't socialised or anything like that. You know you you know 
you've got your work cut out from the very minute you bring that dog into your house. Now, you were talking earlier about a lot of these um, gangs, they want to produce their pups at low cost, but there's also people out there now who are looking to uh, produce their, their dogs at zero cost. In you know, When you look at the number of thefts of dogs that have increased in Ireland and the UK, I know there's been cases of popular breeds stolen in Ireland that have, have turned up in the UK. Is, is that an issue now you're seeing as well, that in parallel with the kind of puppy trafficking that the the number of dog thefts is is, is on the rise yeah yeah it's it, i mean it, it's it's spurred the government it's setting up a, a task force to 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 get a, make an assessment of the problem um now whether this was uh driven by the pandemic and, and the the you know the increased cost of these dogs so you've you've got a dog you know keep using cockapoo cockapoo's you know, gone from six, seven hundred pounds up to two to three thousand pounds. You know, if you've got that, your dog in a garden, it, it suddenly becomes attractive for, to a um, to a, a random thief to steal it and try and sell it. So, I think that's probably driven some of the uh, uh, some of the increase in dog thefts. And then, like say, equally, you've got criminal gangs who could go out and, uh, and target dogs. We we have done operations in in the UK and. In, uh, where we have uncovered um, stolen dogs um, within a, a puppy farm. So they're sort of mixed in with dogs that they're breeding. So it is an issue and, uh, and it is something that, that certainly the UK government is looking into at the moment. I know you've mentioned that you enjoy the cooperation of the ISPCA and the DSPCA um, and obviously your colleagues in Northern Ireland and those in Scotland as well. But when you hear about the kind of dog breeding establishments in Ireland, some of them obviously puppy farmers, and you know they might be licensed to have 300 dogs, but instead when they're inspected and they have 800 dogs, do you think, and I know it's not your jurisdiction, but do you think enough has been done from this side of the water to curb the trade? Or you know, what's the difference in terms terms of legislation in the UK I mean can you run a puppy farm or a dog breeding establishment as easily as you can here yeah I mean there's, there's a licensing mechanism in, over here is the same as there is in Ireland uh, and it's like anything where it's how rigorously your licensing conditions are enforced like the example you use if you've got somebody licensed for 300 dogs and they've got five six hundred well why you know that that's purely that's clearly in breach of their licensing terms. So it's down to the local authority to enforce that. And if that isn't enforced, then you, you end up with the situation we've got now, where the, there is no um, there's no recourse for these people when they breach their licensing conditions. If the local authority aren't willing to use their powers and to revoke licenses or to prosecute, things like that, then these people are just going to carry on and the, the financial incentives are so great now um, that in, in some in some cases, even if you've got a local authority that is going to use its powers to try and stop them, the financial incentives are so great that it may not even stop them then. So it's it's about the, the penalties at the end of the day, um, like, like we've seen over here in the UK now where we've got this increased sentencing. Um, for uh, for causing animals to suffer, that could be a deterrent. The use of the fraud, you know, the fraud act to to prosecute the sellers for these dogs with the increased sentence that comes with that, that is going to be a deterrent. Equally, I know um, over here in the UK we're, we're looking at changes to import legislation. So um, 
that, that there is some work around whether the, the import the, the minimum age to import a dog goes up to six months. If we could do that, that would have a, a I believe would have a huge effect on the on the, the amount of dogs that were being imported into the UK. So it's a combination of everything, but yes, the local authorities should be rigorously enforcing enforcing their licensing conditions if we want to make an impact on this trade. It's been really fascinating, the insights you've given us today. And I know you could probably talk for a lot longer about this, about other incidents and cases you've seen over the years. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us uh, at Crime World and to give us an idea of what's happening out there. No problem. Thanks very much, Ian. No, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.